Good morning, Scott. How are you today? Do you want to know what my favorite part about this morning is? Uh, <laughs> I'm wearing a name tag. Yeah. <laughs> no, that everybody's wearing name tags. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, we have a little thing about name tags here in the office, so I just had to give Scott a hard time. But I love that you're all wearing name tags. It's great um, to get a refresher on people's names, and it makes little... Yes, thank you, Randy. That's good. Well, hey, we're here to do three-ish things. Yep. Uh, tell you the things that we think are important for you to know about this week. And so I'm going to start us off with everything to do with Simon and his family uh, that you need to know about how you can um, part, part, participate in, uh, in events that they will be attending to get to know him better. And so I'm going to run through them. Again, we have a little printout. It's out at the info desk. It's on the walls around the building. And, um, of course, if you get our Friday emails, you already know this. Um, we're starting off tomorrow, Monday evening, with uh, the house church leaders, um, which is not on here because um, if you're a house church leader, you know about that, and Simon will be there tomorrow for the huddle. Uh, but Wednesday afternoon at 1.30, the Abundant Joy Club, for those 55 and older, are meeting here at the church at 1.30. You'll be here in the sanctuary this time. Uh, please go on to our events page and register for that so that we can make sure we have enough seats and enough food for everybody. If you've already RSVP'd with Marita, then don't worry, you're on the list. You don't need to register again. Uh, the young adults are meeting Friday evening, not Monday, your normal night. Friday evening at the Climies, you'll be having a dinner there uh, that Simon and hopefully uh, wife and children will be attending as well. Um, Again, information is on the page for the address for the Climbies. No need to register, but please do show up. Uh, Saturday evening, we have the Family Effects Games Night. Again, here at the church. Um, lots of board games, table games. I think there's going to be some group games as well. Go on to the events page. Let us know you're coming. Um, there is some limited seating, so please do go and register for that so that you can get in on the fun and then, uh, well, let's just back the bus up. Today, after service... I was waiting. I was going to... Yeah, I was going to jump on that one. <laughs> Today, after service, please, we invite you to stay for lunch. Uh, we've got soup and buns and some ham and cheese out there. Stay for lunch. Uh, very informal. Um, Simon and Irene will be sharing just briefly a testimony, uh, but also just a chance to um, fellowship together. Uh, that would be by donation. If you're able to drop a couple bucks in the bucket, that's great. If not, that's okay. Please stay and eat. Next Sunday after the service, we will have a Q&R, question and response time, right after the service. It will be in here. Um, please, uh, if you think of questions that you want to ask Simon, um, would you submit them ahead of time? You can do that again on our registration page, on the events page, sorry. Um, and you can just let us know ahead what your question is, and that just helps us keep things moving. And also, um, we know there's going to be lots of the same questions. If and when there's time, we'll take questions from the floor as well. But um, that is happening next Sunday after church. Did I get it all? I think you did. That was a lot. Yeah, that was a lot. And if you don't remember all that, there is information around the building that you can look at and grab. Really what we've tried to do is we want you to uh, connect with uh, Simon and Irene as much as possible, giving different ways, different uh, opportunities for that. So please engage in that. 
And we just want to add to, we are recognizing there's some jet lag involved. They've come a very long way. We are hopeful that Irene and the kids will attend as many of these events as possible, but we also want to give some grace, recognizing that they're in a completely different time zone. So um, if they are not there, just recognize it's not because they didn't want to be, but um, it's a lot to travel this far and then take on the schedule we've given. So thank you for that. Good. Hey, uh, I actually have a slide for mine, my three-ish things that we're doing. And so I want to come back to what Jesse talked about last week, which is kavod. And this word is a Hebrew word, and it means to honor and respect. I love it. I love that uh, she picked this word out. And, and the idea that we want to do is that we want to gather some gifts, uh, toys for our families down at Boys Road. That's what we do, that's what we do for kids, road, kids Zone on the Road. And we want to gather these toys and we want to make them available to the families. And Kavod is the fact that we want the families to be able to come and they'll pay a very small amount of money, but they get to buy a gift for their child or a child for uh, their parent. And it's a way of just showing honor and dignity to a group of people who don't have as much as we do. And we want to invite you as a church to be part of that. So you can, you can do it in two ways. You can give, you can go onto our, our app and you can give directly to Kavod. And then Jesse will go and she will buy the toys and, and stuff, which is actually, can I tell you, it's a better way because she really knows what is needed down there. But if you're somebody that says, oh, but I love to buy gifts, then um, talk to her. Jesse was up here. She's in the back already. Uh, talk to her again, and she'll tell you things like Legos or puzzles or games for families, those type of things if you're really into buying. But we really want to bless the families down there. It it goes a long ways in building community, our community with their community, to be able to love on them in this way. So will you, will you think about that? Will you pray about that? And if God leads you, uh, please give towards this. And lastly, for me, is um, next Sunday, no, or sorry, Tuesday, November 29th, uh, we will be having a special meeting of the members and... Um, as you know, we have a candidate here. We just talked about all that. Uh, the, we are a congregationally led church, so the elders are presenting a candidate for our consideration. But of, of course, it's up to us to be getting to know him this week, to be uh, prayerfully considering if, if we feel um, we are all a good fit for each other. And so November 29th, Tuesday, 7 p.m., um, if you are a member, please Come to the church uh, where we will just be able to have a time of discussion together and then ultimately have a vote. Okay? Okay. That's it. That's it. I'm done. I'm going to leave you up here. Yes. And I'm going to invite Ben Yablonski up. So we, uh, we're going to... Thanks. There's Ben. <laughs> As you know, we, uh, we highlight some community stories uh, from our community, and Ben, many of you will know, um, has been a part of our community for quite some time, and he is one of our missions partners that we support here at New Life Church, and so we want to take some time to introduce that mission to you, and uh, you know, a lot of you are newer to New Life, 
uh, in, in more recent months, and so you might not even know that this is a thing, and so we just want to, yeah, take some time to talk. So Ben, why don't you take a minute, introduce yourself, tell us what is your ministry and how did you get there? Uh, <laughs> my name is Ben Yablonski, uh, and the ministry is 911 Care Society, and it's uh, providing a pastoral presence in the police and uh, fire department worlds. And God moved me from pastoring on this side of the platform to actually uh, rubbing shoulders and being in the 911 world. So that's pretty exciting, but the Part of it is they need, I recognized years ago they needed somebody to talk to, somebody to vent with, uh, and somebody just to listen. And over the years I found they've shared with me things that they don't share with anybody else. If we've come to a point where there's, this is really heavy duty, uh, I refer them to other counsel and support just so that they have that in their corner. And then I also go back and I tell them that. I'll go back and ask, did that counselor help? Because if they didn't, I'm not going to recommend that person to somebody else. Because it's there for them and their whole family. So, yeah. So that's part of how I got involved. That's great. And um, I, I love this ministry. It's, of course, special to me because we're part of the 911 community. But tell us a little bit about just what, what are they experiencing out there? What is life like for them? Oh, it used to be coffee and donuts, but not anymore. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what time they get up in the morning, but they're at work at 6 a.m., they're famished by 9.30, 10, so they ate their lunch already. A lot of them are eating their lunch at their desks just because, very much like a pastor's heart, they want to be able to take the next call, get out there and help people. So by lunchtime, where their lunchtime is around 2 o'clock-ish, they get peckish. That's their second lunch. <laughs> and uh, they stay on the road, and they're giving 100% going into areas, and uh, nobody calls them when they have a good time. We always, they always get the calls when things are going sideways. And the calls have changed. People have changed after that Black Lives movement. Uh, there used to be, well, there's the lack of respect for any authority has dropped. If kind of like a roller coaster at that big dip, just plunged. So um, it, it's, it's getting harder and harder for the individual officers when they come to scenes. Uh, people are in their face, they're videoing, which is fine, but do it from a distance. And the other is everybody seems to be combative, which is pretty scary for police officers. So that's some of their day, and then they go home and have to be normal to the rest of their family. So um, I ride out with them, give them somebody that they can talk to and ask some of the tough spiritual questions. Uh, can Christians dance? <laughs> some can, some can't. Uh, <laughs> the other thing is when they ask, when I ask them, do you have a church background or something? Uh, they're reaching back to what their great-grandma was or great-grandpa was. There is no church connection. So that's 
again, a different tone in our society. Uh, by coming up and sharing, sometimes people let me know, oh, I know Constable so-and-so, and I said, great. Share with them, let them know, and I'll share with them too. So God can put more people into them and their families' lives kind of thing, which is, this isn't a Billy Graham ministry where hundreds come forward. This is kind of like one person at a time. So. Yeah. And so you're just kind of starting to touch on it, but tell us, where do you see God working in this ministry? How have you seen him moving? <sighs> It's moving in the hearts of the officers, and it's kind of one officer at a time. And um, I, I'm, I'm noticing changes. More officers are um, asking me to ride along with them, which is wonderful. Uh, I've been fought over a few times. No, nope, he's riding with me today. I'm thinking, oh, wow, that's nice. <laughs> and uh, they tell me what God's been doing or what things are happening in their lives. Uh, this last Thursday, I was out with an officer, and he phoned his wife and says, I got the chaplain with me today. I'm bringing him by. So he swung by their house and invited me and met his family kind of thing. So that's one of those God moments. God's working in their lives. And I, I, when they struggle with stuff, I ask, can I pray for that? Uh, and we do. And if it's a big thing, and can I get others to pray? And I'll put it in the newsletter anonymously. And then I also go to and ask the church, are there pre people that are actual prayer warriors? And the RCMP have the emergency response team. So that's kind of like a SWAT thing. So I developed the SRT, spiritual response team. <laughs> and I'll email people that our good prayer warriors and share some of the stuff that, and we get God praying about stuff. So that's, it, that's neat. I had one officer shared with me, uh, if God's real, help me find my flashlight batteries. I'm thinking, what? Apparently the rechargeable batteries are very expensive. And so so I did, in the car. I said, Lord, this one's yours. I have no idea what's going on. Some squirrel bunny leaped across our path. He hammers the brakes and outrules this <laughs> from underneath the seat. And I look down. Is that it? And he just glares at me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he picks it up. Got anything else? No. <laughs> so God's working. It's just they're kind of a harder crust operation kind of thing. <laughs> That's great. Um, you mentioned your newsletter. Uh, ben sends us updates monthly? Yes. Monthly. And we, when we get them, we always print them off. We have a missions board just outside the sound booth on the other side of the wall of the sound booth. You can always pick up his newsletter there. You can get on his uh, email list, which um, it's on the back of the newsletter, how to do that. If you want to help support Ben's mission, as I said, we as a church do support, but you can still give to that. You can give to it through us and just let us know that it's for him. But he also on the back of his newsletter, um, yeah, if you email, send that email. You can also find out how, how to support him directly if that's something that you would like to do. 
As we close, how can we pray for you today? Oh. Finances is big because I'm not paid by a detachment or anything or churches. Uh, prayer. But meaningful prayer. And not like, I just went through a radar trap and holy mackerel. That's when you start praying. No, pray for the officers. When you hear a siren, pray. Because they have no idea what they're going to and how it can escalate. Pray for their safety. Pray for my safety. I found out bulletproof vests aren't bulletproof. They're bullet resistant. There's the difference. <laughs> uh, the other thing is pray that God would work in the hearts and keep the doors open. Because I'm a guest in their world, bringing, put, and we, we together are putting a pastor into their world, which is totally different, totally new experience. And all the care and support that we get as believers is what I'm giving them in their world. And that's quite a shock for them. And it takes, so pray and God will work in their lives. Okay, well, let's take a moment now and pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity here this morning uh, to hear about uh, Ben's ministry with the 911 community. And Father, you've heard, heard his heart and his requests. And so, Lord, we, do, we lift that community up to you now. Um, it is a, a different side of the world that they see, a different side of humanity. And so, Lord, we pray for protection for their hearts and their minds as they experience some of the worst of what the world has to offer. And they try to do that in a loving, caring way um, to keep people safe. We pray for their personal safety, um, that, that they would make wise choices as they go into the situations um, and that they would, they would just have protection as they engage in each call that comes. God, I pray... Um, for a softening of hearts and minds. It is natural for them to build up walls to protect their emotions. Um, and so, Lord, we just pray that as Ben is there building relationship, that they would see that as a safe, um, a safe person, someone that they can trust, and that they can let some of those walls down, uh, and that they would, they would ultimately be sensitive to your spirit in those moments and, and find that they don't have to... They don't have to... Um, face all those things alone. They can face them with you. So God, we thank you for this ministry. Uh, please keep Ben safe as well as he's down there traveling with these, these good people. Um, keep him safe as well. Give him your, your words to speak and share as, as you want them spoken. Thank you, Father. Amen. All right. Thanks, Ben. Simon, where is he? Oh, he's here, okay. I mean, I, I know I've been doing this for a while. I could, you know, do something on the spot, but I didn't really want to. There we go, my friend. Are you ready? Are you nervous? Um, yeah, I am, of course I good, am. You good, good. Yeah. It's, it's, this is serious stuff, you know? <laughs> Preaching the word of God is, is, is business. It is. It is. You know, it's, yeah. it's serious. Hey, we bless you. We're glad that you are here. And we just look forward to what God has to share with us today through you. Thanks, God. Yeah. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. It is absolutely brilliant being here with you all this morning. 
First and foremost, um, can you all understand what I'm saying? Can you understand my accent? <laughs> I'm from the north of England, and we are notoriously um, difficult to understand, but uh, I hope you understand. If, if, any, if you don't understand, raise your hand, and I'll try and slow down or enunciate a little bit better, but it's good to be with you. We feel really welcomed here. Um, we, we have been liaising with the, the search committee, you know, with the elders, with uh, staff, and everybody has made us feel so welcome. Uh, we, can, we can sense the presence of Christ in the, our meetings that we've had. And uh, when we've met people, we felt genuinely welcomed in the love of God uh, within the church. Even this morning, um, I've come in, I've had two coffees, which are fantastic and is supporting a good ministry. We felt really cared for. So thank you, my wife and my, myself uh, and our children are grateful for the care and the support we've received. And so um, thank you. It's, been, it's, it's lovely being here. It took us 37 hours to, to travel here. Um, we uh, arrived midnight on Friday evening, which was about 8 o'clock in our bodies. We hadn't slept. Um, it's 8 a.m. So we uh, slept that night. We woke up about 10 a.m. Um, on Saturday morning, and we thought we must, we must have climatized to Canada. This morning at 2 a.m., we were all wide awake. <laughs> We discovered we weren't, so um, <laughs> it's nevertheless, it is absolutely brilliant being here. And thank you um, for Jess and the, and the Bible verse that we, we've read this morning. Thank you for teaching the children such profound truth, scriptural truth. Uh, it's encouraging to hear that you're teaching um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, and propitiation. What a word to teach children. My, my Bible, I use the uh, NIV. It doesn't use the word propitiation. It uses the word atonement. And, you know, John, uh, Romans 3, 23, we're going to look at this this morning. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Your Bible may say propitiation, but my Bible says atonement. What a wonderful word to teach the children. At, at one moment, the word was um, coined, atonement. We are at one moment with Christ. The, the, our, our guilt, the, the punishment of, for sin has been removed through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we are now at, at one moment with God if we put our trust in Jesus Christ. What profound, wonderful truth that is. And you're teaching the children this? Bless you. Wonderful. As, a, as a dad, I want to thank you. Jess isn't here. I'm sure she's teaching the kids. But you are indeed fortunate to have these things um, this morning. But Scott has asked me to speak uh, on a passage. I said, Scott, what can I speak on? He's given me a passage. So if you've got your Bibles, if you can please turn to Mark chapter 8. And we'll be looking at verses 31 onwards. Scott says that you've been looking at uh, spiritual formation. And he's asked me to just finish on this before we look at Advent. But as you're turning to your Bibles, I think the book of Mark is a great book. The, the author, Mark, is encouraging us to really get to know who Jesus Christ is. 
And he challenges us that the Christian journey is more costly than we realize and more precious than we thought. Are we there, Mark 8, verse 31? Mark says this, And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. What a challenging passage. Before we dive into that, can we just pray and give this Word to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we want to thank you for your holy scriptures. We thank you for your living word which transforms our lives. We thank you, almighty God, that you speak in and through your word into our lives. And I pray this morning that all of us here may have eyes to see and an open heart and ears to hear what your Holy Spirit is teaching to us this day. We thank you for your church, the gift of your, of your church that we can come, we can worship together, we can study together, we can celebrate and rejoice together. And I pray, Lord, this day, we, everything that we do is, is just an honor to you, Lord. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question this morning, though. What is our greatest need today? What is humanity's greatest need? Manufacturers spend millions of pounds every year telling us what our greatest need is. And then they try and sell what we think we need in our lives. I've got some examples of what manufacturers tell us what we need. Square watermelons. Apparently round watermelons aren't good enough. They roll off the table. You can't store them in your fridge. Refrigerator, is that right? Refrigerator. Um, they tell us we need square watermelons. You can cut them easier. And so you can buy, there you go, that's a thing. You can buy square watermelons. People, you know, you, you, manufacturers tell us things we need that we never knew we needed. Square watermelons. Or what, what about this? You know, we've got diet water. <laughs> Just in case the water you're drinking now isn't healthy enough. You can buy bottled diet water. You know, you need it in your life. You won't be disappointed. Diet water. Who would have, who would have thought? Or what about this? I never thought this would be useful. Claw in the dark. <laughs> Toilet roll, right? It's a thing. To be honest, I thought this would be a useless commodity until I came to Vancouver Island. And I, it's so dark, we woke up at 2 a.m. and I thought, this might be useful if you're wild camping. <laughs> it was pitch black this morning. 
<laughs> Glow in the dark. If you're a wild camper, you go on Amazon, you can buy it. <clears throat> or how about toothpaste? I don't know if you can see that. There's Colgate there, specifically aimed at men. Toothpaste for men. What's the difference between toothpaste for men and for women? I, I don't know, but someone is saying that if you're a man, you can buy this special toothpaste. It will change your life. <clears throat> we are sold and told we need so many things today in our communities, in our lives, that will change our lives. What is humanity's greatest need? I think humanity's greatest need right now, and it has always been, is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and his life-transforming presence in our lives. A.W. Tozer, a theologian, said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I think it's so true. What we think about God is the most important thing about us because our perception of God affects our lives, how we respond in life, how we act in life. The God that we know determines the Christian that we become. It determines our faith and how we respond to God. So if we understand that God is holy and sovereign and powerful, then we will approach God with reverence and awe in our lives. And Mark, the author here, spends a lot of time detailing how, who Jesus Christ is. Verse 31 in our passage this morning, he says, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. The Son of Man. The Son of Man is one of the most common titles that Jesus Christ uses for himself. And it comes from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, and it references the end times and somebody who has eternal authority and power. And John, Mark says of Christ, the Son of Man must suffer many things. Who is the Son of Man? Who is Jesus Christ in our lives? Who do we understand Jesus to be in our lives today? When we think of Jesus Christ, do we think of a man walking around in sandals and a long beard? Or do we think, we're approaching Christmas time now, do we think of Christ as a little baby born in a stable somewhere? When we think of Jesus, what comes into our minds? Who is the Son of Man? I think it's a great question for us to ask this morning. And it is a question that the disciples themselves asked Jesus Christ. If you just turn back a couple of chapters to Mark chapter 4. Mark 4, 35 to 41. Jesus and the disciples are crossing over the, the lake. And it says in verse 35, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. They took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with them. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. <clears throat> he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, 
who is this? Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What's interesting in this passage is verse 39. When he got up and rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, my Bible uses the word waves, but in the Greek, it is the word thelesan. And thelesan means the word sea. Have we ever heard of the expression, the, the sea of Galilee? It's not a sea at all. It's, 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 it's a lake. And yet, in the Greek, it is thelesan. And when the original readers would have read, heard the, the word thelesan, and heard the word sea, it would have conjured up something quite terrible, really. Who has control over the sea? My wife and I, we live in the north of England. And we live, our, our house backs onto the North uh, Sea. And it can get quite treacherous. You know, we get these big winds coming from like Siberia, coming over our way, and it's cold. And as we were leaving, the day we were leaving, the sea was rough. And there's a big lighthouse, and the sea was so rough that it would go over the lighthouse. And it's seriously terrible. When the original readers would have heard of the word sea, they would have conjured up, the, the creation, the elements. Who has control over the weather? Well, Jesus Christ does. They would have thought of chaos. Phyllis and it equated to chaos. In its way, in the Revelation, the beast comes out of the sea. In fact, Revelation 21 talks about how there'll be no more sea when we get to the new heaven and earth. No more chaos. No more pain. It's where people die. And so when the original readers hear this, Jesus Christ has power over the elements. He has power over the sea. He has power over chaos and destruction. And the disciples are saying, who is this man who has such power and authority today? And then straight away in chapter 5, we see that Jesus Christ, verse 1, of chapter 5, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerenices. Now, there's a picture on the, on the wall here. I don't know if you can see it. But they crossed over the lake to the, the Gerenices there, and, or the Decapolis. It's the same region there. And so the Sea of Galilee, it's even there, the Sea of Galilee. They crossed over to the other side. And where the Decapolis is on the right of the Sea of Galilee, the Decapolis was a Gentile area. It's an area where Jewish people just didn't cross over. It, was, it, was, it would have been deemed unclean. It would have been deemed, um, you know, uh, unsafe to go over. And what we see is that Jesus Christ goes over into areas which were unsafe. He's crossing over into areas which are unclean. And he goes and he, and he meets a man who is demon-possessed. He goes into the tomb area, which again would have been a taboo for the Jewish leaders of the day. It would have been an unclean area. Christ is going into this area and he meets a demon-possessed man and he casts out the demons of this man and he, and he throws the demons into a herd of pigs, which again would have been unclean animals. So Mark is detailing here the sort of things that Christ would do. He's showing us an example of who Jesus Christ is. He's going into areas which ordinary people wouldn't have done. And he's got power over the elements. He's got power over creation. He's got power over the demonic. This is who Jesus Christ is. 
This is, the, this is the God that we are serving and we're worshiping. And then in the preceding verses to the chapter that Scott has asked me to speak on this morning, we see here that Christ himself asks the disciples, who do people say I am? We see in the, the confessions at Caesarea Philippi that Jesus says, who do people say I am? Well, if you've got your Bibles again, Mark chapter 8, 27. Jesus and his disciples went on the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And there's Peter, jumps straight in with two feet. You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anybody. Peter shouts out, you are the Christ. In the Greek, Christ, and in the Hebrew, Messiah, means anointed one. This is a bit of a, a key moment in the book of Mark. The disciples, Peter, and the disciples realize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is Christ. He is the anointed one. At this moment, a wonderful confession but they are still deficient in their understanding of what the Messiah meant and how the purpose of Jesus would unravel in the weeks and the months ahead. Jesus wants to explain the purpose of the Messiah coming here on earth. And so there's a bit of context. Mark is leading us to this passage here this morning. And so Jesus now explains the role of the Messiah, Christ, what he has to do here on earth. Verse 31, he then began to teach the disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. Jesus Christ tells the disciples four things must happen, and we're going to be looking at the three of them this morning. Jesus tells his disciples that three things must happen. Not, not perhaps, but must. He must suffer. Jesus will not simply suffer, but he must suffer. Not simply be rejected, but he must be rejected. And it's not a case of, I might die, but he must die. Why? Why is it necessary for Christ to do those things, to go through those experiences with such conviction and certainty? Well, before the foundation of the world, since the fall of humanity in Genesis, God's plan of salvation and redemption determined that the Son of Man would stand in the place of humanity, would stand in my place, would stand in your place for our sins. He must do those things in order for us to be at one with God again. The atonement. And this is where Romans 3 comes in. This wonderful passage. Let me read it again to you. There is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through redemption you know, we are redeemed, we are set free by the cost of Christ. 
that came by Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. We have been atoned by the perfect sacrifice of Christ, not because of anything that he has done, but because of our sins. And if we confess with our hearts and believe, you know, if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we too have been made one. We've been right. We've been made right with God. So Christ had to go through those things for us. No longer will the day of atonement be necessary. The day of atonement where the great high priest would send out a ram into the wilderness to cast out the sins of the people and, and sacrifice a, a ram in the community. No longer would we need to do that because of Christ and what he did on the cross for us. He must go through those things so that we could be redeemed, we could be set free. When people quote this passage in Mark 8, I find that we go straight to verse 34. We must carry our cross and we must follow Jesus. Well, why must we do those things? We must do those things because of what Christ has done for us. Understanding who Jesus is and why he did those things is one of the most important things we can ever understand. Humanity's greatest need is the forgiveness of sins and what Christ has done for us. Something for us to celebrate. Verse 31, no. he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. What fascinates me about this passage is that the elders and the teachers of the law and the chief priests have been studying the Bible their entire lives. They've been studying the, the word, the, the full lives. They've been looking for the coming Messiah to return once again. In fact, there's a celebration called the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the last sort of uh, Jewish festival of the year. And the whole week is dedicated to looking forward to the Messiah. They'll spend a whole week just celebrating and rejoicing about the Messiah coming again. So their attention is fully focused on the, the Messiah returning. And yet... They, when the Messiah does come, ironically, they miss the fact that Christ is in their presence. How fortunate we are to be living in today, in 2022, post-cross, where we can see Christ in our lives today. Let me encourage you, do not miss Jesus Christ in your life. These Jewish people have missed one of the greatest events in history. It's because they've been looking for the wrong Messiah. They've been looking forward to a king, a liberator, a redeemer to come and to set them free from the oppression of the Romans. But they've missed the fact that the Messiah would be a, a suffering servant, like in Isaiah 53. The, the servant of the Lord would bear the sins of the people, afflicted by God himself and killed. And so Jesus Christ in this passage is telling his disciples, he starts to teach them what it means to be the Messiah. And the disciples hear this and they think, do you know what? If the Messiah has to be rejected and the Messiah has to suffer and the Messiah has to be killed 
and I'm one of the disciples of, of Jesus, who is the Messiah, what does that mean for me? And this is the last thing that they want to hear. They don't want to go through what their teacher has to go through. And so this is what we see in this passage here. Verse 32. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, you may disagree with Scott over there. You know, he, he may have some wacky ideas, or he may do something, and, you know, he may disagree with me. At the end of the service, we're having coffee later on. You, you can come up to me and say, Simon, I didn't agree with your style. Uh, I didn't like the shoes that you're wearing, or took your t-shirt in. You know, that's fine. The hair, I don't, yeah, I don't like your hair. <laughs> Shave your beard. Oh, no, I don't know, you can disagree with me on many things, and that's fine. You can do that. But to rebuke Scott, you know, don't rebuke me, I'm new here, but no one. To rebuke Scott, your teacher, is another thing. But to rebuke Jesus Christ, the Messiah, we've just established that he has power over creation. He can cast out demons. To rebuke the second person of the Trinity is something completely, it's, another, it's on another level. Peter rebukes Jesus Christ. Jesus is no ordinary teacher. Hebrews tells us, the book of Hebrews is, I think, my favorite book in the Bible. Christ has, is, is superior to the angels. He's superior to the prophets. He's superior to Moses and to Abraham. This is just no ordinary teacher. The same Peter who just moments ago at Caesarea Philippi says, you are the Messiah, is now rebuking Jesus. Peter wasn't considering God's purposes and plans, but his own human desires and feelings. And that is so easy for us to do as Christians today. That we seek our own feelings, our own desires in life before what God's plans and purposes are for our lives today. I'm really encouraged to hear about some of the stories that are going on in this church. I love your coffee shop. You sell great coffee, but it's doing something way better. You know, you're supporting lives in Guatemala, children, ministries, people's communities. I love the, the kids on the road about you getting out there into the community and doing things which are difficult. And that's what we're called to do. The Christian path is not paved with ease or wealth, but sometimes it involves hard work. Sometimes it involves getting messy, rolling up our sleeves and getting involved with the mess of people's lives. Crossing over to the other side of the lake, going into areas which are difficult or hard or uncomfortable. That's what Christ is calling us to do in our lives sometimes. It's what we had to do as a church. My church in the UK, we, when the pandemic came, Every church had the same conversation. How do we respond to this situation? And I remember the first week, the first day of the pandemic, we, as my eldership team, we, we got together and we said, okay, every pandemic lasts about five years until the world gets to, to grips with it. In five years' time, when we look back, 
how will we feel that we responded to the situation? Will we, will we think, do you know what? We were good servants to Christ. Or will we be ashamed of how we responded in that situation? And so we made a decision to make sure that as a church, we were continuing to serve the community. Our church building that we have is open from 8 o'clock in the morning to late at night, every day. And um, we, we run a food bank out of our church, a daily food bank. We supply about 70% of our city's needs in the, in the community. Um, we, we have a commercial kitchen that is pretty much running every single day. And there's a lot of things that we couldn't do. We, we weren't able to open up uh, the conference center. You know, there's some things out of our hands. But there's some things that we could control. And we wanted to ensure that we were continuing to be um, Christ's hands and feet in our community. So uh, although we weren't able to invite people into our building, we wanted to make sure that the food bank stayed open. And it was scary. It was a scary time for everybody, right? And we thought, right, okay, how do we do this? And so we, I remember, um, we, we weren't able to have people in, but we opened our front doors and we served our food bank over the counter of our, of our front door from day one. I was going to work and it was just me in a car and the streets of the city were empty. And I'm going to work thinking, this is so surreal. We, have a, we had a community kitchen where we feed uh, the homeless every Friday morning. And praise God, we were able to provide food over the, over the door, hot meals every Friday morning to people coming from straight away. We decided as a church that we needed to make sure that we continued to do what is important. It was hard. It wasn't easy. It would have, the easy option would have been to stay at home and have done nothing. But we felt it was right to do this. The Christian journey isn't always easy. Jesus didn't model an easy life. He modeled a do whatever needed to be done, seek first the kingdom of God sort of mentality. I love the story of Christ when he went from Judea to Galilee. And it says in John 4, 4 that he had to go through Samaria. Nobody had to go through Samaria all of the Jewish people, they went around Samaria, but Christ had to go through Samaria. Why? Because there was a lady at a well that he had to go and speak to. And I don't know if you know the story. She went away and told the whole village, and the whole village are praising and rejoicing in Christ Jesus. The easy option would have been to go around three days to go around Samaria. But Christ was willing to do what, it, what he needed to do to follow the will of God. My wife and I, we've come here today, and it is such a privilege to be with you all. I hope you're still with me. I hope you're still following my accent. Is it okay? There's no hands up yet. <laughs> Praise God. But we traveled 37 hours on an airplane because we believe that God is calling us here right now at this time. We're prepared to do that. So thank God that we're here, and thank you for having us. Jesus lived a different, can do, seek first the kingdom of God life. And now he is saying to the disciples, he must suffer, he must be rejected, and he must die. The disciples' job was not to protect Jesus Christ. The disciples' job was to follow Jesus Christ. A godly person, you see, is deeply concerned about the things of God. 
but a godless person doesn't have any concerns about God, only their own desires in life. There was a wonderful German pastor called Diedrich Bonhoeffer who was arrested during World War II and he was taken into a concentration camp um, for speaking out against the regime at that time. And he wrote a wonderful book called The Cost of Discipleship. And within the, the book, he warns the church about cheap grace, about taking the easy life. And he labored how discipleship involved sacrifice. Jesus rebukes Peter in return, verse 33. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples and he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. What a strong um, expression to give to somebody. Get behind me, Satan. Why use the word Satan? Well, it resonates with when Christ was in the desert and Jesus Christ was tempted by the devil to take the easy way out. He was tempted three times. The devil didn't want him to go to the cross. Jesus was tempted three times and he, he said, I can't go the easy way. And now Peter is saying, he's tempting Jesus almost saying, don't take the easy way out. Christ says, I can't. My father has a plan and purpose for me. In verse 34, he then called the crowd along to him. To see how important it is to understand the first section of this passage, who Christ is and why he's being called. He then called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Everybody at that time understood the significance of carrying our cross. The cross beam, the, the main, the cross beam where you hung up on your, on your hands, you were expected to carry that. The Roman authorities would make you carry that to the place where you, to be executed. And to carry your cross was a way of being submissive to the Roman authorities. Christ is saying here, I need to carry a cross, not because we've got some burden to carry as Christians, but that we have to be submissive to following Jesus Christ in our lives as well. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is our greatest need today? Is it Square watermelons or glow-in-the-dark toilet paper. We will be sold all of these things all of the time. The latest car, the newest pair of jeans. If you get this quote, we were coming into Canada Airport, so Victoria, and we're coming down the escalators, and there's a big billboard, and there's a famous um, Canadian jacket that everybody's wearing on this billboard and everyone's happy in their fancy Canadian jackets all warm and cozy and everyone seems so content if I get this jacket I'll be happy in life it's not true is it what's our greatest need today only Jesus Christ seeking him and following him will ever truly satisfy our deepest needs the way to true freedom is to follow Jesus. He says, suppose, in verse 35 to 36, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? We can gain all the riches of the world and yet lose the inner freedom of loving and being loved by God. Verse 38 
If anyone is ashamed of me, my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. I've not always been a Christian. I've always believed in God, always. But I've not always been a disciple of Christ. I've not always been in the church ministry either. When I first started out, I, I was training to be an engineer. And I trained to be um, in electrical engineering. I, and when I, when I was doing that, I was coming to the end of the training. My company sent me to become um, a training in mechanical engineering as well. And in the midst of that, they asked me to do a, a postgraduate diploma in business management. So I was doing all of this training. And then they sent me to, to study combustion. And then uh, after combustion, air conditioning. And they wanted me to become a projects engineer. And I thought I'd made it in life. I thought I had everything I ever needed. I had a good job. I had good friends. I worked for a good company. I, I had a good social life. I played football. Um, soccer, do you, call it, do you call it football here? English soccer, thank you. I, play, I, play, I played soccer for a good team. We'll have to change that mind if I come over, you know, at football. I thought I'd had everything I needed. I, I was in my early 20s. I had a house, a company car. I needed for nothing. From the world's standards, I should have been really happy. And yet, I still had this nagging feeling in my life. There must be more to life than this. There's got to be more to life. I didn't need for anything. And yet, I still wasn't happy. I wasn't content with what I had. And one day, um, a friend of mine was a youth worker. And she said, can you please help me take the teenagers to a youth conference? We want to take them camping. You've got an estate car. Can you help us? So I, I loaded their car up with the tents and the gas bottles. And I took them to this, um, this, this, this event. And they said, can you come back in a week's time and pick us up? I said, no problem. I'll do that. And so the week later I came. I came early the Sunday morning. And I stayed for the whole day. And they, and they promised me bacon sandwiches. You know, if you want me to do anything for you, give me a bacon sandwich. And I'm there all day for you, okay? So I, I, as I was there, I went around these different conferences. And I went to one seminar, and the, the guy was talking about how in life, if we pursue money, we'll never be happy. Oh, okay, that's interesting. And someone else in another seminar was talking about relationships, how important it is to have good Christian community in your life. I thought, that's, imp that's, imp that's important as well, yeah. And on the evening, everybody got together. All of these young people, and there was a church in the UK called Soul Survivor, and they were organizing the worship. I think, I can't promise this, but I think Matt Redman was leading the worship that, that evening. And the speaker was talking about the farmer who sows the seeds. And some, some of the seeds fall on the, the rocks, and some of the seeds fall on the path, and some of the seeds fall on the weeds. And this guy said, you know, the seeds are falling in the weeds. The weeds can grow and strangle the life out of the seed. To the point where you don't have, it stops you growing in your relationship with God. And I thought, that's me. That's my life. I've got all of these things. The weeds are, 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 are money and success and relationships. I thought, that's me. I have all of these things, but I want to have a relationship with God. I want to know Jesus Christ in my life as my Lord and Savior. And so he said, if any of those things apply to you, come to the front. So I went down to the front and I prayed, God, if you exist, and if you reveal yourself to me right now, 
I will quit everything. I will sell my house. I will quit my job. I will quit the football team. I will give up everything and I will follow you. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit filled me. At the moment I prayed that, someone put their hand on my shoulder and I was just filled with the Spirit of God. And I'm from the northeast of England and it's a tough community. And I cried and I cried for 30 minutes with joy because I was full of God's Spirit in me there and then. So I did. I, uh, the next day, I, I made a plan. I, I sold my house. You know, I, I worked for a year, made some money to go to Bible school. I went to Cape and Ray Bible School. And so I, I understand there's a Cape and Ray just down the road from here. I went to Cape and Ray, and then God just kept moving me on and moving me on. And, and I, next thing I know, I'm going into ministry. God is leading me. I give up everything to follow Christ, and it was the best thing I ever did. Following Christ gives you that joy that you can never get, that the world can never offer you. It is like dust in your mouth compared to the riches of Christ Jesus in our lives. And so I went home that night, the night I was filled with God's Spirit, and I read this passage, and I've never preached on this passage in my life until today. I read this passage, and verse 38 said, If you are ashamed of me and my words, when I return, I will be ashamed of you. And I made a promise that I will never be ashamed of Jesus Christ. I went to work the next morning, and I got all the builders and the electricians, and I said, Put your tools down one moment. Let me tell you about a guy called Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I've got all these burly men just sat there, you know, what's going on? <laughs> I don't know who this guy is, but we, we want to find out together. Life with Christ is good, right? Amen. We have a choice in life to follow Jesus or not. We can choose to reject now and be rejected. Or we can choose to accept Christ and be accepted when he returns once again. Let me ask you another question this morning. Do people know that you follow Jesus Christ in your life? Do people know at work that you love Jesus Christ? When you go shopping, do people know that you follow Jesus? Do your children know that you follow Jesus by the movies that you watch or the books that you read or the, the music that you play in your kitchen when you're doing the dishes. We have a choice to follow Christ or not. The pandemic has been tough for so many. So many people have fallen away from Jesus Christ during this time. Our greatest need isn't square watermelons or the latest electric car or whatever that might be. Humanity's greatest need is to know Jesus Christ, to seek, to serve, and to follow him with all of our hearts. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is a light unto our feet 
and a guide your living word, transforms and renews us. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you died on that cross as that perfect sacrifice for us so that we may have a relationship with you. We thank you, Jesus Christ, that you love us so much that you were willing to make that sacrifice so that we may have life, life in abundance. We thank you. We thank you for your church, the gift of, of the, your church where we can come together, we can worship together, we can study together. We can rebuke each other and we can grow together. Almighty God, we thank you for that gift as well. You are a God who continues to provide for our needs. I thank you for New Life Church and for the ministries and the staff and the elders here and the heart to reach out and to serve so many people. Just the, the chaplaincy team working with the, the emergency services, working with Guatemala, the missionaries that we have. I thank you for the, the children's ministries and the youth ministries. I pray, Lord, Heavenly Father, that you continue to bless this church as they bless others in such amazing ways. We love you so much, Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for new life. Amen.